Discussions of Truth, Wednesday, 4.15, coming your way with guest. This is the 4 o'clock hour, uh, Eastern Standard Time, Ian Trottier. Uh, we have, for the past few weeks, because of the, uh, really the coronavirus issue going on globally, we brought to you a an hour early segment. Uh, in fact, uh, we had four guests on the program. That was a four-hour show two weeks ago. Uh, last week, uh, three weeks ago, last two weeks, we've had uh, three weeks, or excuse me, three guests uh, join the program. The need for discussion, conversation, uh, is becoming more and more apparent in uh, today's world, and certainly with the um, the media outlets uh, reporting conflicting stories, you, we've got a complete mess in the White House. Uh, you've got uh, various different angles of uh, how to deal with this pandemic, um, and unfortunately, it seems that in a uh, in a world of an increasing fake reporting, fake news, uh, one must do their due diligence to dig individually. Uh, therefore, the rise of independent media becoming uh, more important and unfortunately abundant because the, uh, the average American uh, simply unable to uh, put trust in their main media outlets. Um, this is very unfortunate. Um, the United States being a beacon and standard, one would hope for uh, constitutional values. Um, the Republic uh, uh, that uh, stands currently, um, <clears throat> at least via facade, and uh, the democratic values that put those to lead it in place by means of vote. Uh, again, this is becoming an, inc uh, an increasing threat. Uh, so what we have here is a uh, global pandemic, uh, a health pandemic, and uh, in the United States, um, the uh, man occupying the Oval Office, um, giving yeah, briefings that simply uh, report differently from what other mainstream media outlets are reporting. Anyway, so uh, last week, Michael Snyder joined the program at the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, he runs the, uh, the Economic Collapse blog. 
Uh, been doing so now for over 10 years. He's got a JD from the University of Florida. And I uh, believe he's also got a um, an LLM, which is a Master's of Law from that same school. We also hosted Zach Voorhees. He occupied the main slot at the 5 o'clock hour. He's a Google whistleblower. And uh, his 950-page uh, cache, uh, cache to the Department of Justice uh, reveals um, some pretty disgusting behavior um, of Google and what they do with the information that is put into their search engines. Uh, there's parallels there, of course, with the behemoth Facebook. Um, but as one steps back now, during this coronavirus uh, era uh, that we're facing now, um, one asks, why does a computer engineer in the, uh, was he the, the co-founder with Paul Allen of Microsoft, uh, that would be Bill Gates, uh, why does his opinion weigh uh, on the media and make its way into your homes uh, so heavily? Um, well, right. One must connect the dots. Uh, he's not a health official. Uh, he's not a medical doctor. Um, I suppose he could be a, a computer scientist. Yes, that's accurate. So he is a scientist, but he's not a health or medical scientist. Uh, so why would his opinion on how to deal with the coronavirus uh, be of importance? Why uh, would his uh, view uh, be mega-blasted? through uh, television, internet, internet, radio. Uh, well, let's see. Microsoft still has a very uh, prominent um, place in the way that we conduct ourselves globally. And uh, the money that has been driven into his coffers uh, has been invested into uh, different things such as vaccine groups, um, something called a digital identification. So is he merely pushing his own personal agenda? And one of the main uh, arguments that I make on this program is, look, uh, if you are unaware of the, uh, the banking system and where that money is going, the facade being, in this case, the Federal Reserve. It's a private organization. It's not federal. It doesn't represent you. It represents uh, a very wealthy and powerful group of people behind the box, locked box. It doesn't get audited of a central bank. That is what a Federal Reserve is, and that's what the Federal Reserve is. So, if you are unable to look inside that box, if you're unable to look at who those shareholders are, what companies they own, and how they might be manipulating an economy in the way that you live your life as uh, the average Joe uh, or the average Ian uh, is a more or less slave to that econ economic structure, i.e. Uh, gas in a car, uh, gas in airplanes, 
uh, uh, gas into uh, trucks uh, transporting uh, food and other cars for the consumer to purchase, then um, how is one able to uh, ever question uh, things? So, so to look at the coronavirus as a possible economic uh, 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 invasion is perhaps startling for most to consider. Uh, but um, there is increasing evidence. Whitney Webb, type her name uh, into your search engine, and there you will find something called the dark winter associated with the anthrax attacks after 9-11, uh, 2001. Uh, you'll also uh, find recent meetings uh, headed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, that sponsored how to deal with, in co uh, collaboration, collaboration with John Hopkins University, how to deal with uh, biological warfare or, and, and or, again, under the, the guy, under the guise or facade, I'll, I'll say, of a global health pandemic. Is that biological war on you? Is, is, is the coronavirus a biological war on you? It's completely ground to a halt, the U.S. economy. Completely ground it to a halt. So where do I base all of this from? Um, and by the way, the week prior, we had on American historian A. Ralph Epperson. We had uh, Lindstroth report with J.P. Lindstroth. He's got a Ph.D. from Oxford. Um, and we had on Tobias Churton from the U.K. They're talking about Aleister Crowley. So anyway, how and why could... The, uh, the coronavirus be used as a, an economic um, uh, 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 war uh, on you. Okay, it's, it's, it's completely ground to a halt, the American economy. Completely grounded to a halt. Are the numbers really that startling? Uh, go to world... Ometers, world ometers, just as it sounds, O E M, excuse me, O M E T E R S dot info. And there you will find, I don't know what engines run this, but there you will find some numbers on the coronavirus. Uh, what are we at? Um, what, what, are the, what are the cases right now? Uh, let's see, let me bring this up quickly. I think we're more or less looking at um, what about twelve thousand, just under twelve thousand uh, deaths now in the U.S. Um, and what cases we've got over a quarter million, I think. Um, again, I'm not looking at the statistics on the website at the moment. Um, let me see if I can bring this up here. Coronavirus cases. Uh, worldwide, uh, one and a half million, basically. Okay, is that worldwide or yeah? Okay, uh, eighty-seven thousand deaths uh, worldwide. There have been three hundred nineteen recovered by the coronavirus. Now we're going to skip down to the United States. Total cases, okay, approaching now half a million. So you got four hundred twenty-two thousand coronavirus cases in the U.S. right now. Okay, up. 
I'm assuming that's today, 22,000. We have total death count now. Now, this is jumping largely by day, so no doubt about that. Uh, two days ago, I think it was around about 10,000, so just in a couple days, it seems to grow by 1,000, 2,000 now a day in the past couple days. 14,463 is what World of Meters info is reporting at this moment. Uh, and yes, today there are 1,622 new deaths. Okay, so how do those numbers compare to the H1N1 virus that supposedly um, uh, started, uh, incepted out of Mexico, was it, and then went global. This is about 10 years ago, 2009. So H1N1 cases... There were 60 million, 60 million H1N1 cases, and there were 12,000 deaths. And this are, these are U.S. numbers, so 60 million U.S. cases, and there were 12,000 uh, U.S. deaths from the H1N1. Um, so why is the coronavirus, uh, why is the H1N1 didn't, grind to a halt the U.S. economy, yet this coronavirus has completely ground it to a halt. And you don't even have a million cases yet, if there will be, of the coronavirus. Yes, there's been more deaths, but we don't have the outlandish number of cases. And why is it that uh, Trump is um, going on in these different tangents, uh, tangents than the, the regular media? mass media. Uh, we also hosted last week, okay, we also hosted last week, um, uh, let's see, Dr. Yorm Lass. And uh, Yorm Lass uh, is a former um, uh, health uh, minister, the health minister in Israel. And as of last week, with Yorm, uh, the numbers surrounding the coronavirus were nothing uh, out of the uh, uh, ordinary for him. Uh, and again, he's the former director of the health ministry of Israel. Uh, he uh, cautioned about a week ago, if I recall the con uh, discussion uh, with him um, correctly, uh, not to put much more emphasis on this coronavirus, this strain of it, COVID-19, than uh, any, uh, any flu uh, uh, he said, he said on this program, according to the World Health Organization, that uh, 500 million people can die uh, in, in a really bad year of the flu virus. I believe that was a number. If you listen to that episode and correct me, then please do uh, correct me. Uh, we have a triple header uh, coming your way today. And shortly, uh, Bill Reed uh, w. Craig Reed, uh, New York Times bestselling author of Red November, will be joining the program. We will be dialing him in here momentarily. We're going to follow that up at the 5 o'clock hour with uh, Dr. Bandy Lee. And Dr. Lee is a psychiatrist out of Yale. This will be the second time she's joined the program. And uh, she will be discussing her book, uh, the dangerous case of Donald Trump, uh, her, where she makes the case that uh, Donald Trump is mentally unfit and unstable. 
to occupy the position he occupies. That is, uh, from her opinion um, and uh, view. And again, keep in mind as you listen uh, to the program, uh, I take no sides politically. Okay, I take no sides politically. Uh, I believe that the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, whether you like it or not, I do believe that the Council on Foreign Relation, uh, Relations uh, controls, for the most part, both political agendas in this country, that would be Democrat and Republican parties, um, as they control the, the foreign relations. And who uh, controls the Council on Foreign Relations, in my opinion, in my understanding, that would be the central bank. Okay. Um, we go deeper. I go deeper uh, on that subject. But uh, I do encourage you to please uh, go to my website, iantrache.com, and find a list of uh, some very impressive articles. Uh, namely, uh, Anthony Sutton, former Stanford Hoover fellow, um, for instance, who had wrote The Best Enemy uh, the Money Can Buy, uh, the U.S. banking organization uh, built up the Soviet Union. Uh, you'll also find something, such things as King John I's concession of England to the Pope in 1213. Why would I put that there? William Charter, the King William I, William the Conqueror, prior to entrance into the City of London Corporation, his agreement that he made with the City of London, and how those that central banking platform, how that ties into the U.S., uh, Federal Reserve. Uh, there are a number of Philip Drew Administration, Edward Mendel House, The Empire of the City, The Jekyll and Nature of British Government. Uh, there's a number of links on that website to interest you, iantrache.com. And of course, the show can be heard every Wednesday. Again, as the past few weeks, I've been broadcasting with special guests beginning at the 4 o'clock hour, Eastern Standard uh, PM. Uh, however, um, uh, uh, all all guests, and before I bring on Bill, uh, all 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 guests come on at the uh, fifteen minute mark of the hour. Uh, we'll be ending today's show with David Knight, uh, host of the David Knight Show. He'll be joining us at the six fifteen mark today. Um, and uh, I guess what I wanted to tie up here was I began this four years ago because in Miami there was a another health uh, threat in form of Zika, okay? Now, the Zika virus, and again, I know Bill's uh, waiting, standing by. The Zika virus, uh, just in a quick nutshell, what you should know about and question about the Zika virus is this. Uh, it was discovered from a rhesus macaque monkey in Uganda in 1947. Who funded the science behind that? The Rockefeller. Rockefellers also own a patent to this day. Uh, you can type it into your search. This is all public information. AC excuse me, ATCC VR-84. That's the patent on the Zika virus owned by the Rockefeller. So why was this outbreak, if it was discovered in the 1940s, why, why was this outbreak, uh, why did it become an issue in 2016 in Brazil, in Miami, and I think a case or two in San Diego? So should you be questioning some of the mega wealthy, right? Some of the big power players, the Rockefeller, i.e. the Rockefellers. Okay, let's bring on Bill Reed, and we'll go into his book, Spies of the Deep. Uh, bringing on Bill Reed.
Hello, Bill. Hello there. Hi there. Ian Trache. Welcome to Discussions of Truth. How are you today, sir? Outstanding. Fantastic. Bill, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the program to discuss a... We, we obviously have a very uh, tumultuous world now. We're facing a health pandemic globally. Uh, this, and we've now ground, we have a, an economy in the United States that is completely ground to a halt. Uh, people uh, 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 are uh, under stay-at-home orders from their local government, state governments, uh, yet we also have threats that, uh, that, that proceed outside of uh, of of the health globally, we've obviously got military threats and whatnot. You have a uh, you're the New York Times bestselling author of Red November, and you also bring uh, your new book Spies of the Deep: The Untold Truth about the most terrifying incident in submarine naval history and how Putin used the tragedy to ignite a new Cold War. Um, uh, for listeners, uh, Bill, would you please tell 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 us a little bit about more about uh, who you are and what caused you to write uh, write this book. Absolutely, well, I actually did spend time as a submariner, and in my book Red November, I wrote about a very serious collision we had with a Russian submarine. We were about a mile off their coast, and they chased us for three days. We almost didn't make it back. So when I heard about the Kursk going down, which is a Russian submarine. This was about a decade after the Cold War ended in August of 2000. It hit me pretty hard because it brought back a lot of those memories of my experience in the Cold War. But then I heard there were 23 survivors. Uh-huh. And there was a delay by the Russian military. Putin, of course, was involved in getting those 23 survivors rescued. And they did perish. But what we were told by the Russians and what we were told by our own U.S. government and what I discovered later from my fellow submariners who were on two submarines right nearby, the Memphis and the Toledo, uh, was shocking. And that prompted me, took a while, but it prompted me to find the truth, to keep digging till I found the truth and bring it out as painful as it is to hear, and then to discover how that is dramatically impacting our world today. Right, so that's, that's, a, good, that's a good point. The name of the submarine that Bill is discussing is called the Kursk, K-U-R-S-K. Bill, how does that tragedy impact our world today, and how and why should listeners uh, take heed of this, or why should they uh, put importance and care about about this? Well, what a lot of people don't understand, and I didn't until I researched it, is that in August of 1999, Putin only had 2% of the vote. And that month, the Kursk submarine went on a top secret mission, and they actually got very close to the aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt. Now, we've just heard uh -huh. about the Roosevelt in the news. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. captain was fired, they had coronavirus, so same carrier. And because of that mission's success, Putin went down to the pier, met with them, became an honorary submariner. His father was a submariner, and he leveraged that to gain 53% of the votes. So he was elected in March of 2000. 
that's 20 years ago last month. Uh-huh. And, and then when the curse went down, he used that loss to propel Russia back to greatness, rebuild their military, bring us back into a Cold War, start a new resource war in the Arctic and other places. And now we are in an economic war with him, and this whole coronavirus epidemic yeah. is playing right into his hands. Interesting, you say that, and 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 you're talking, and you bring up a, a a good point here. Uh, what is, in your view, what is Putin's real agenda that motivates him to support, as it seems that he is, uh, Donald Trump and interfere with that election? Absolutely. Well, we think he invaded Ukraine because he just wanted to capture Crimea. Uh And the truth is there are four natural gas pipes that flow through Ukraine that feed Europe a third of their natural gas. That's where Russia makes most of its money is energy, natural gas and oil. So his plan is to lock up these natural resources, which he's done in two key areas, trillions of tons of oil and gas and other natural resources. And his real agenda is to move away from what we call the petrodollar. That's the U.S. dollar backing all these energy right. trades. Yeah, He's tired of that because it undermines his ability to, uh, do, to basically have his agenda in terms of oil and gas trades. So this is the, the one-two punch. Uh, we're, again, we're uh, in a situation where he can take that second punch now that our economy's on the rocks and pull the rug on the petrodollar. If that happens, you think it's hard to get toilet paper now. Huh. Uh, wait for another year or two. Yeah. So but you also bring up a good a good point here. We can get more into the, the, the gas piping and the oil uh, lines. But, but with climate change, uh, yeah, the, the Arctic is melting. Uh, and so you, know, you, you brought up the Arctic uh, just moments ago. How is the environmental issue affecting sea routes and maritime shipping lanes? Absolutely. So I think what we need to understand is that 90% of what gets to us that we buy at Costco, including toilet paper, gets to us typically by sea lanes. There's about six main choke points, Strait of Hormuz, Panama Canal, etc., that most ships have gone through. About a decade ago, everybody was going that route. Now, thousands and thousands of ships are going from Europe past Russia, then past Alaska through this northern sea route because they can. The ice is melting. Regardless of what you believe, that's what's happening. happening. Yeah. And Putin owns this whole route. He's got a half a dozen military bases, ships, submarines. He's locked that whole route up. The U.S. has one medium-duty Coast Guard cutter that has no weapons on it. So we have a knife in a huge gunfight. How how do you see this? What's in your in your opinion? There's obviously conflicting stories. What well, what do you see causing the melting of the of the Arctic ice? So what in in regards to climate change? What's what's causing this? Well, there are a lot of theories, and of course, uh, we're seeing that some of this can be man made. We're also seeing an uptick in the asteroid. Um, situation. We got a lot more asteroids coming our way. It could just be that we're going through a a period of it and that's causing some dust in our atmosphere. So there may be several things contributing to it, 
But that's really unimportant why it's being caused. The fact is it is being caused, and this is opening up these sea lanes, and Russia's locking them up. We are not. So we're in serious trouble if he locks up that sea lane because it takes 40% off the cost and the time, which is why it's so critical. How did the Chinese uh, fold into this, in your view? Well, the Chinese have had their eyes on the Arctic for a while. They spent years petitioning the Arctic Council to get on that board, and they now are, are now there. And, of course, they see this as a huge boon to them because it takes 40% off cost and time for their routes as well. But the same thing's happening in the South China Sea. That's why they're building all these right. sand islands, because they found trillion tons worth of oil and gas down there, same as what we're seeing up in the Arctic. Right. So, so Bill, uh, for listeners out there, could it resonate with them that, hey, um, we should do whatever we need to do to get off our dependency of oil? This sounds like it might be uh, driven uh, in large part for controlling of natural resources, oil and gas. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we can't go cold turkey overnight, but we do have options. We can innovate our way out. I visited some of the researchers at the uh, Naval Research Labs in DC, and they've invented an incredible way to take seawater and turn it wow. into any kind of fuel. And it is negative carbon impact, meaning it will actually lower the carbon impact because it pulls it out of the ocean. The ocean has 140 times more carbon than the air. So these are innovative ways that we can get ourselves off of foreign energy dependency, create our own way to have fuel and, and so forth, and then perhaps further innovate with whether it's um, solar or other types of power. And we've got to innovate our way out of this. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and that's a good point, Bill. Where can listeners find the information that you're talking about uh, in regards to that naval study on, uh, on seawater? Absolutely. I've got a blog I wrote about that on my website. It's wcraig, C-R-A-I-G, read, R-E-E-D.com, wcraigread.com. I've got blogs about all of this as well as it's in my books, uh, Spies of the Deep. It's available now, but coming out in July. Great. Um, if the petrodollar, if, if, if that is removed and crashes, uh, what's the future for the U.S. dollar? Well, that's where, where we're going to be in trouble. Now, we went off the gold standard in 74. Nixon took us off, and that's been propping us up. Petrodollar basically cut a deal with the Saudis that all of the oil and energy trades would be done with U.S. dollars, and that's the way it's been for decades. But now both Russia and China want to move away from that, and they have been. And if they do, that could undermine the value of our dollar, if that happens, we could see a crash far worse than what we've seen recently due to COVID-19. Right, and we're, we're looking at a possible catastrophic um, scenario for the U.S. economy, I would, I would assume. Uh, from your understanding, what would be the next step uh, if that economy crashes? We've got, uh, uh, I, I think, the current, currently at least 10 million unemployed filed for unemployment. Um, the Federal Reserve stepping in to try to work a deal now. They worked a deal with the U.S. Treasury.
Hold on a moment there, Bill. Yep, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, they've worked to deal with the U.S. Treasury. Where does the, and how does the U.S. economy rebound from this? I, even with the threat of the, the, the coronavirus, we've got a big deal. Now we're throwing in uh, the pet, possible petrodollar collapsing. Uh, what's the future for the United States as far as you, as you, as you can see? Well, again, we've got to innovate our way out of this. We've got to find ways that we can become less dependent upon the typical oil and gas. And we've also got to find a way to rebolster our economy. We've been off this gold standard. It's time to be looking at what our alternatives could be in relation to the petrodollar and make some serious decisions about how our economy is propped up this is probably the best time to do it. Get our not only innovation in terms of energy, but also innovation in the way that we have our economy structured. Right. Let's get back into Kursk, to the Kursk a little bit, um, so that listeners can understand a little more about uh, about this uh, about this uh, this this submarine uh, issue here. Uh, that doesn't get any uh, doesn't get any recognition by mainstream media. Nobody's talking about the curse. Uh, it's a, it's, it looks like it was a ploy for Putin to to gain power. Uh, this was a uh, this was a submarine uh, carrying nuclear torhead, uh, uh, torpedo heads. Is that is that right, Bill? Yes, that's correct. And at the time, they had not had a big naval exercise in a decade, and so. We were desperately trying to find out about a top secret new weapon, a rocket torpedo they had invented. We sent over a former naval officer, Edmund Pope, to get plans for this. Well, he got arrested. He was thrown in jail right. in Russia. So we, we were desperate. We sent two submarines, spy subs. I used to be on one. And they were tasked with getting the information on this, listening and watching the exercise of the firing of this rocket torpedo. Well, it appears that one may have got... May have ...this submarine, that's why it went down. Well, all that got buried, and it looks like Bill Clinton and Putin cut a deal in about a month after this happened to bury it. And so that's what Putin later used basically to wrest control from oligarchs, take control of the energy firms, and then rebuild Russia into what we see today and ignite yeah. a new Cold War far, far worse than the last one. And what, what really is that Cold War for listeners to conceptualize? What is that based on? Well, they have a lot of new, very interesting weapons. One that I not only wrote about in Spies of the Deep, but I also crafted a novel about this weapon. It's called Status 6. That's the name of the weapon. And it's 10 times larger. Lar find it or even know that it's been fired. They have tons of other new submarines and new weapons. Again, they're locking up the Arctic. They're locking up natural resources. These are all ways for Putin yeah. to defend against anything we would do against him. Interesting. Uh, uh, Bill, 
let's get into the British and Norwegian rescue divers. Um, what shocking discoveries did they make when they examined the sunken Kursk? Well, what happened after the Cold War, and I wrote about this in Red November, we undertook a very top secret mission back in the Cold War called Ivy Bells. We used saturation divers. They were breathing helium and oxygen to, to basically wiretap Russian communication cables. Well, after the Cold War, we kept our program, but the Russians didn't. Saturation divers, and right. they discovered some shocking things. That's what I wrote about in terms of what really happened during the rescue. Yeah. I interviewed those divers and their diving supervisors. And what I learned was just absolutely uh, riveting, sure. but also very shocking. Sure. Um, why would the Russian rescue team fail to rescue the Kursk survivors, and how might that have actually caused the crew's demise? Well, they actually, again, didn't have these saturation divers, so they weren't able to do proper rescue operations. They also had okay. antiquated deep submergence rescue vehicles, and we're not able to properly mate with the the led to the demise of the 23 survivors that's what got buried and covered up by the russians by putin and didn't they didn't want that to come out yeah. How is this most terrifying tragedy in submarine history related to the current U.S. election? Uh, Bill, why is Russian tampering with the election to ensure Trump wins? Well, again, what we're seeing is Putin being a consummate chess player. He thinks six yeah. moves ahead. He's brilliant. Think what you like of him. Right. But he has shown that he's brilliant. And so he looks at this as perhaps lesser of a few evils. He has his agenda, especially in the Arctic, and right now, right now, views other candidates as maybe less um, likely to keep their hands off of some, some things or perhaps yeah. a greater threat in relation to his long-term agenda. Why will the sinking of the Kursk in August 2000 become known as a historical pivot point that propelled the world toward a new Cold War that's far more dangerous than the last one? Well, as mentioned, this is what set Putin on his path. Again, the Kursk rocketed him from 2% to 53% of the vote. That's how he got elected in, in major part. And then leveraging this to rebuild Russia back to its greatness. But then during the actual salvage of the Kursk, we did the operation. Uh, Dick Cheney, who yeah. was running for vice president of the United States, was the former president of Halliburton, so he had access right. to this information. And we taught them how to saturation dive. And now today they're using what we taught them back then to potentially 
tap our communications cables or even cut those communication cables, if they cut our communication cables right. between where we are in Europe, wow. Uh, you think the coronavirus is difficult and right. is going to cause some severe economic hardship. What do you see what happens if our communication cables get cut? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good uh, bill. Uh you what? Let's let's back up here to your New York Times bestseller, Red November. Uh, again, this is a book that uh, was on the New York Times bestselling list. Uh, what spawned you to write that? Well, I had to wait twenty years uh, wow. before my okay. uh, gag orders were up, but I felt compelled to tell the story about my fellow submariners that nobody had talked about, as well as other underwater and um, operatives. So there's a number of operatives, my father included, okay. who was um, involved in the, in the Cold War, actually briefed President Kennedy about certain technologies that led to um, the uh, basically solving of the Cold War uh, issue at that time with the uh, Cuban... Okay, uh, Bill. I'm sorry. We we, we had a, a technical glitch here. It's been experiencing uh, for the past couple of minutes. Could you please repeat uh, that last uh, comment there? Uh, I, I I apologize. Uh, your father had briefed Kennedy, uh, and, and can you expand from there? Absolutely. Uh, my father again briefed President Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis about a top secret technology that Kennedy then used to turn back Khrushchev. At that time, a uh, little known story. That, as well as many other stories, I felt would be lost to history if they weren't recorded. Yep. yep. Including the Ivy Bells missions, what really happened there. there. Serious collision I was involved in, as well as other incidents that happened that nobody knew about. And I wanted to make sure they didn't get lost to history. Uh, Bill, are you familiar with uh, former Stanford uh, Hoover fellow Anthony Sutton? Yes, heard the name. Okay, uh, great, excellent. Um, so we're really looking at um, two uh, two uh, big main threats here. We've got, of course, the coronavirus that's uh, totally throwing the uh, the economy in the U.S. Uh, to a halt uh, globally. Uh, we've got uh, uh, most of the uh, well, most of the world uh, completely shut down. Uh, shut down. It sounds like uh, China's kind of uh, regathering themselves. Um, I, I don't know where Italy is at the moment. We've got Boris uh, Johnson in the UK. Got him in ICU as of yesterday. But now we've got this totally other issue going on uh, that most people don't realize is happening. And that the trade routes, uh, majorly, uh, primarily through the Arctic, that Putin is now um, looking at, it looks like he's very close to perhaps uh, manipulating and controlling, uh, whereas we've got, I think, what would you say, uh, one Coast Guard cutter up there? Um, uh, what is the best thing that the listener, uh, as, as uh, listeners listen to what's happening with your expertise and your knowledge, um, what's the best thing for listeners to do? How can listeners act and make a difference? Well, I think it's key to remember that we think 
politicians and government officials have the power and they do not. We have the power in numbers. Every time we put our opinion out there in terms of a poll, like a Gallup poll, yeah. uh, these politicians and government officials cower uh, because they are beholden to us. But we do not use our power wisely. We listen to the mainstream media, and the mainstream media tells us who to vote for. Right. They spend all their time focused on this candidate or that candidate, and that's all we hear about is the ones they want us to hear us to hear. in Iran or Iraq or China, North Korea, wherever it might be, and understand geopolitical issues, understand the military, because you can't have someone in charge of the military that doesn't understand it and know how to wield the power when it's necessary. Again, like yeah. Teddy Roosevelt said, walk right. softly, but we need to carry a really big stick. The Eisenhower, as he was leaving office, you, you talked about your father briefing Kennedy. As Eisenhower was leaving office, you spoke about a military-industrial complex. Uh, we've had guests on the program say, I, I think uh, Ray McGovern, as a matter of fact, former CIA operative for uh, 17 years, uh, had rephrased that and said he, what he was actually talking about was a military-industrial uh, congressional complex. Uh, how do you feel about that term, uh, in your view, Bill? What is the, let's, let's keep it a military-industrial complex, what is that? Well, we certainly do have money. <laughs> Uh, in control of a lot of things. or It's in control of all of the energy that we have and the energy trades. Yeah. And there is a massive military weapons complex. There are a lot of dollars being made from military buildup. And so there is sure. an incentive for those individuals to ensure there's world conflict, as would be obvious. Because it lines someone's pocket, not because it actually helps defend our country right. or to make the right move. And so that's a difficult balance, but we need to keep those people in check. And that's why, again, back to electing the right leaders right. who can stand strong, who can make sure there's a balance there and that we don't wind up unnecessarily spending money where we shouldn't. Do you think that the United States would be more productive with... Uh, now, you go back to George Washington with a military mind uh, in the Oval Office. We've got uh, a business mind, I suppose, is a good way of saying it, in, in, in Trump. Uh, but would the, would, would, would the country be better off uh, having uh, someone with military expertise uh, occupy the Oval Office and, and uh, work with uh, the country politicians? Well, at least with geopolitical and military understanding. And an excellent example would be Gordon England, former Secretary of the Navy. He wrote the foreword to one of my leadership books, Seven Secrets of Neuron Leadership. He did not serve in the military. However, he was former Secretary of the Navy and former Deputy Secretary of Defense. But he also had a very sharp business mind and a very sharp geopolitical mind. So he, so he
to lead our country. Right. Because that person will understand all of the different things under his or her control. Bill, uh, let's go to Iran as we we, 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 we wind this down. Uh, and I've got to apologize for listeners as there there is this technical glitch we're experiencing. Uh, I want to get your your take uh, for a few moments on Iran. Um, is Iran a threat? Do they have nuclear weapon capabilities uh, that are being hidden from uh, from the from the world? Yes, absolutely. I've written in my books about a Soviet bio. bio- nuclear programs in Iran. That's not the case. It never has been. And therefore, we do know they have been pulling material out of their nuclear reactors. And it is very uh, evident that they may be equipping what they call the Hoot rocket torpedo. And I remember I mentioned the rocket torpedo that the Russians had on the Kursk. Could do about 200 knots underwater. Well, uh, the Iranians now have one. They reverse engineered that, and they wow. call it the Hoot. And it can go 200, maybe even 300 knots under. under- of our warships. So if the Theodore Roosevelt goes back to sea, and they are in the Strait of Hormuz, uh, by the time they saw that torpedo coming, it would be too late. Spies of the Deep is a 255-page, very well-documented uh, collaboration of uh, this Kursk incident, uh, how Putin started uh, a new Cold War that uh, sounds like the media is not giving much of any attention to, uh, I encourage you to get it uh, today. Uh, Bill, uh, what, are the, uh, what are the avenues where uh, folks can purchase your, your, your book? Noble, uh, anywhere books are sold, Spies of the Deep. Just type that in and you'll find it. You can pre-order it today. Thank you very much for joining Discussion of Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Bill Reed. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so um, this is unfortunate. I, I know that the uh, the broadcast was having uh, some glitching that began at about the 39-minute mark. Uh, so uh, much of uh, 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 Bill's responses uh, were, were, were cut off. Um, I, uh, uh, I acknowledge that and see that happened. Um, we, again, are a independent... Uh, program and from time to time uh, we do experience these glitches um, Bill Reed Spies of the Deep order it now you heard him Barnes and Noble or Amazon I'll be back at the 5 o'clock hour with Dr. Bandy Lee this has been a Discussion of Truth Wednesday April 8th.